Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation. Uh, We're turning to Revelation chapter 21 tonight. You'll find Revelation 21 on page 1041 of the Pew Bibles. Page 1041. We're going to read Revelation 21 verses 1 to 8. And then we'll be thinking about this passage in just a moment or two. So Revelation chapter 21. It's on page 1041 of the Pew Bibles. Very well-known passage, a passage that we're familiar with, but we remember that this is God's word to us. Revelation 21, verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this evening. Well, as you know, uh, during our our big question nights, we tend to move the the service around a little bit. Uh, So at this point, we're going to think about what the Bible says about the topic of heaven. So if you have your Bible there, uh, let's open it again to Revelation chapter 21. It's page 1041 in the Pew Bibles. And uh, as you're turning that passage up, uh, let's pray for a moment together. Father, we thank you again for your word. And we thank you that it is a word that helps us as we live for you here on this earth. And we thank you that it's a word that fills us with hope about the life to come, having trusted in Christ And we pray that as we think about what that life in heaven will be like tonight, that you would encourage us and that you would bless us and that you would help us to focus on you and to to put aside earthly things and to focus on spiritual things and to focus on our Savior, the Lord Jesus. For we ask and pray these things in his name. Amen. So this is our our next big question. Uh, This has been a a monthly series. Uh, We've only actually had one sermon in this series so far. Uh, The first and only one has been, uh, what does the Bible say about alcohol? Uh, We were to think about the question of assurance of how we can be sure that we're Christians, uh, but that didn't happen because I was led low with COVID in October. Uh, We will return to that question, I'm sure, at some point. Uh, what, what, What I had planned for this week and for next week was for us to think about heaven what heaven will be like, and in God's providence and timing, uh, we come to this topic tonight remembering that he is the one who plans the end from the beginning, and it is his purpose that we would consider these things tonight. 
Uh, Tonight will be a general look at heaven and what the Bible says about heaven. Uh, Some of what we're going to think about may may sound familiar, and that's because it's something that we've thought about relatively recently. Uh, We thought about this topic uh, back in February and sort of borrowing some of that material and thinking it through again. Uh, So you'll perhaps remember parts of it, though. Uh, this, this is an important topic. Uh, there, there can be a, a lot of confusion about heaven and what heaven will be like. Um, this series is based around questions that our young people had at the Vibe Weekend. Uh, they each got a, a blank sheet of paper and had the opportunity to ask one question about the Christian faith. I ended up with 28 questions, 28 pieces of paper, and nine of the questions were about heaven. What will heaven be like? Will we see people we know in heaven? What will we do in heaven? And so on. Before we answer those questions, we need to lay the groundwork beforehand. And we need to say some general things about heaven before we say more specific things. And that's really what we're going to do tonight and what we're going to focus on tonight. Uh, But back in 2012, one of of the the, the top films was the film adaptation of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. And The Hobbit is the story of a group of warrior dwarves who lost their home following the attack of a terrible dragon. Uh, Once their home, a mountain kingdom, had been the wonder of the world and their their wealth had seemed unending. They they lived in the splendor of gold and jewels, but their paradise is lost and they're forced to wander through the world in in poverty and shame. And it's Tolkien's way of picturing our world following, following Adam's fall into sin. But early in the film, there's a conversation between the dwarf leader Thorin Oakenshield and his uncle Balin. The the older dwarf argues about the futility of Thorin's plan to return to the mountain kingdom. And Balin says, what are we? Merchants, miners, tinkerers, toy makers, hardly the stuff of legend. So it is with us human beings after the fall. We look back in Genesis to the glory of our creation in the image of God Once we dwelt in the garden paradise and walked with God in the cool of the day, but like the dragon that attacked the dwarf kingdom, sin made a ruin of our once glorious condition, leaving us adrift in the dust of the world. What we are is a question that we often ask farmers, teachers, teachers, laborers, receptionists, office workers, retirees, homemakers, hardly the stuff of glory. Christians look back at a paradise lost, wondering if we can ever return. Has the fall cut us off eternally from our original destiny? Is, is getting by in this life the best that we can do? But broadly speaking, Revelation is a very helpful book that directs our gaze in two directions. First of all, to the cross, where Jesus freed us by his blood from the penalty of our sin. And secondly, to the return of Christ and the new heaven and the new earth that he brings. In that way, the last book of the Bible answers the plight of the first book of the Bible. The garden that was lost in the beginning is replaced at the end with the holy city, New Jerusalem, heaven itself. And tonight we're going to peer into this time of of endless joy. We're we're, we're looking forward to a time that will be completely and entirely perfect. We're thinking about heaven and and what's in view is, is not just life that goes on forever. The focus is on the quality of life in heaven. Uh, What's interesting about the scriptures is that despite popular thinking, the Bible is is actually very reserved in its descriptions of the afterlife. It doesn't menace the sinner with lurid threats of hell. 
And it also doesn't seduce believers with fantastic promises of heaven. The descriptions of the afterlife are very, very reserved. But, but Revelation 21 gives us a picture of the end of all things. The, the most compelling part of this section in Revelation 21 is that the dwelling place of God is with man. That this is the, the goal of redemption, if you like, the, the goal of salvation. Again, we should note the contrast between popular opinion, even the opinion of Christians, that our ultimate destiny is to go to heaven. The biblical view is actually that, that heaven comes down to us. The great picture at the end of Revelation is the reuniting of heaven and earth and the restoration of the original relationship between God and man, which existed in the Garden of Eden. But what will heaven be like? We're going to think about this issue over two Sunday evenings. Tonight is really just this general overview of heaven and the eternal state of believers. We'll deal with more specific questions next Sunday evening, questions of who we'll see and what we'll do and so on. But Revelation 21 allows us to peer behind the, the great curtain of the joyous life that awaits us. It gives us answers to the question, what will heaven be like? It answers that question but by telling us what won't be there. So it answers in the negative. In heaven, there will be three things, or there won't be three things. In heaven, there will be no more corruption, there will be no more death or tears, and there will be no more longings. We're going to take each of those points in turn as we think about what heaven will be like. So first of all, in heaven, there will be no more corruption. Re Re Revelation 21 begins with the most encouraging news we can ever read. That then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Revelation 21 is a passage that is based on Isaiah 65. And in Isaiah 65, Isaiah is looking forward to a time when, when God will bring about the end of all things. If you wanted some homework, you could go home and read Isaiah 65 and compare it with Revelation 21. But the city that is mentioned in both Isaiah 65 and Revelation 21 is holy. It's described as the holy city. Now that's saying more than just sin and evil are gone. It's reminding us of the fact that because, that because God is dwelling in this place, it can be nothing other than holy. The Bible doesn't say that the city is an affluent city. It's not a culturally progressive city. It's not an inclusive city. It's not an entertaining city. It's the holy city. And what we need to understand when we think about heaven and when we read what John writes about the holy city, about the new Jerusalem, is that he's talking about the church. The new Jerusalem is all, our, is all those who have trusted in Christ, believers, the church. And what we also need to remember is that, is that God's people are a community. A city is not defined by, by streets and buildings, but by its people. Eternity is not about us as individuals being with Jesus forever. It's about a corporate existence and a corporate experience of God's glory. A corporate experience of being in a place with no more corruption. Uh, there's a beautiful intimacy hinted at, particularly in verse 2. The new Jerusalem is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, one of the things that the Bible teaches us is that earthly marriage will end when we're separated by death and enter into glory. Luke 20, 34 to 36 tells us that. But believers will suffer no loss in the eternal city. Ma marriage in this world 
is God's way of getting our hearts ready for loving intimacy with Christ as his bride forever. Well, one per- per- person puts it in this remarkable way. The, the experience of heaven is the bliss of being utterly and eternally loved. In the new Jerusalem, God's renewed people will no longer be condemned by sin. The flood cleansed the world until Noah and his family got out of the ark. Their entry brought a return to sin to the world, but, but, but not so in the new heaven and new earth. Believers are qualified to, to enter the place of no corruption because we have been cleansed by Jesus' blood and justified by his righteousness. The, the, the dwarf in the hobbit may tell us that we are hardly the stuff of glory, but Revelation 21 tells us that we are destined for glory if we've trusted in Christ. That, that, that truth means something now, though. It means that if we've trusted in Jesus, we, we should be making preparations to meet him. You, you, you know the way when you're, when you're getting ready to go on a trip somewhere, at a, a night away, a, a holiday for a week or two, you, you pack your bags, you get ready to go, you, you make a list of what you need to bring. If we've trusted in Christ, we need to prepare for glory. Now, it's not that we get to glory through our preparations. It's that, know, it's that knowing we're bound for glory, we make preparations. There's a subtle but very important difference there. Just as the, as the people of God will be holy in eternity, so we should be holy now. As we get ready for our trip, we should be putting off sin. We should be pursuing righteousness. We should be getting to know God better before we spend eternity with him. We're to live lives like a bride preparing for her wedding day. That's a really helpful and good way to think about it. What does a, what does a bride do on her wedding day? Make preparations, rush around and get ready. As we prepare for glory, we should be pursuing in faith the beauty of holiness that our Savior loves. So in heaven, there will be no more corruption. There will also be no more death or tears. Listen to Revelation 21 verse 4. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That, 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 that verse is one of the most precious in all of Scripture. We hear it so often, and we allow it to bounce off us, but just linger on the thought that in the in, uh, just linger on the thought that in heaven th- there will be no more death or mourning. You will not walk behind a coffin in glory. There are no graveyards in heaven. There, there'll be no more crying. I have cried a lot this week. It doesn't take much, to be fair. I inherited my tear ducts from my mum. But there'll be no more tears in heaven. Pain, aches and pains, they build up as you get older. There won't even be a pang of pain in God's perfect heaven. The, the things spoken of in verse 4 are just all too common for us. We just, we just expect them. We just... Treat them as normal. But the way the world is now is not the way it was supposed to be. The chaos that we see around us wasn't part of the original creation. But, but that chaos will be gone. And, and the wreckage left behind by things like death will be, will be long forgotten. In verse 1, John says that the first heaven and first earth pass away and the sea is no more. And that's a symbolic description. It's not that in the new heavens and new earth will be any less beautiful because there's no sea there. The point is that the evil and chaos of the former world will be gone. 
Uh, ancient Israelites weren't seafarers. If you ever wanted to write a book but wanted it to be a short book, you could write a book on naval heroes of ancient Israel. It would be a short book because there are none. God's people were not seafarers. They weren't sea people. The closest we come to a seafarer in the Bible is Jonah, but things didn't go very well for him. God's people avoided the sea because they thought that it was a source of chaos and destruction. Water destroyed the world at the time of Noah. Terrible monsters come out of the sea in Daniel 7.3, Isaiah 27.1, and Revelation 13.1. But the removal of the sea means the permanent removal of all challenges to God's order. There will be peace and stability in the life everlasting. No more death, no more tears, no more chaos. Time and death stalk all who live in this present world. One day you and I will be remembered by a simple headstone. But in the age to come, we will know no death, no sorrow, no pain, no tears. The, the, the imagery in Revelation 21.4 is, is so beautiful, so precious. It has us, has us poignantly entering glory with the tears of our sorrowful lives still on our cheeks. But God is there and he's, he's wiping away the tears. Our loving Heavenly Father greets us, wiping away the last tears we will ever shed, wiping them from our faces and bidding us to weep no more forever and forever. It's as Psalm 30 verse 5 puts it, for his anger is but for a moment and his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. In heaven there will be no more corruption and no more death or tears. Th thirdly and finally, in the, in, in the heaven to come, th th there will be no more longings. V verse three is the key verse in Revelation 21. John writes this, he says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. What, what verse three tells us is that that God will dwell or, or tabernacle with his people. In his gospel, John begins by telling us that Jesus, tells us that Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt or, or tabernacled among us. Re Revelation 21 is simply a picture of the fulfillment of the covenant of grace. There's, there's covenant language right throughout this section. What, what we see though is joy and delight on the part of God. He will not just half welcome us into heaven. He cares and loves his people deeply and he will be delighted when they join him in glory. It's worth remembering that Revelation was written to people who were enduring. Every day they were deciding whether or not they would follow God. It sounds a lot like people like us. The book of Revelation has been given to us so that we might overcome Revelation 21 is supposed to motivate us. It's, it's as though it's saying that this is what lies ahead. This is what heaven will be like. So stand for Jesus now. In heaven, when believers dwell with God for all eternity, there will be no more longings. That, that's what's in view in verse six. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The, the great tragedy of this world is that lost sinners resent God and avoid him and stay away from him as much as possible. Fools say in their heart there is no God. P people recoil at the idea of, 
of God, acting and, and try as hard as they can to avoid even thinking about him. Yet the God they're fleeing from is merciful and kind. He, he offers life that has its origin in the spring of his own eternal vitality and being. Think of a, of a dry and weary land where travelers are parched. In that land, there's a, a springing fountain with, with green foliage everywhere. If only they will come, the thirsty can drink of this living water. It's a metaphor for the life in which we live. Souls are unsatisfied. Hearts are grieved. Countless lives are wasted. Have you ever thought that this life is all that there is? Have you ever been broken by tragedy? like a glass that has been emptied of water. God offers you water that restores life and, and satisfies the heart. He offers you a place in glory in heaven where every longing will be satisfied and joy unspeakable will flood your soul. Because then and, and only then you will be truly home. So, so often our eyes are, are focused on the stuff that's down here. What we're gonna do with our lives, how much money we're making and saving and keeping, what our next car will be, what our next project will be, who we're going to marry. And we think that once we have whatever it is we're, we desperately want, we'll be satisfied, we'll be complete. We won't long for anything else. How wrong we are. Only when we're dwelling with God in glory will we experience the joy of being complete. The great picture at the end of Revelation is the reuniting of heaven, heaven and earth and the restoration of the original relationship between God and man, which existed in the Garden of Eden, a relationship that was marked by the fact that it was perfect. So in heaven, there will be no more corruption, no more death or tears, and no more longings. There will come a time when we will say, what was life like in a fallen world? Everything that we experience now will be a forgotten, distant memory in the life to come. The, the, the thing about eternity is that, can go, is that it can go one of two ways. And we've talked about one way in a lot of detail, but, but Revelation 21 mentions the other way it can go. We're thinking about what heaven will be like, but it would be remiss of us not to, to mention verse 8. It says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Well, what's interesting about the scriptures is that despite popular thinking, the Bible is, is very reserved about its descriptions of the afterlife. It doesn't menace the sinner with lurid threats of hell, and it doesn't seduce believers with fantastic promises of heaven. Descriptions of the afterlife are very reserved. But, and it's a fairly big but, the, the alternative to being in heaven with God is awful. The alternative to life in heaven is a place where there is, where, the alternative to life in heaven is a, is a place where there is no more corruption, no more death or tears, and, and no more longings. It's awful. It'll be a place without happiness, without joy, a place where the longings in your heart are never satisfied. If you're outside of Christ tonight, you need to give serious thought to the two destinations spoken in Scripture, the place of perfection and the place of rejection. For those of us who know and love the Lord, what a hope we have ahead of us. We're going to sing a couple of hymns in a minute. Onward to the prize before us. 
Soon his beauty we'll behold. Soon the pearly gates will open. We shall tread the streets of gold. There will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when death shall be no more. Standing face to faith with he who died and rose again. Holy, holy is the Lord. As we think about that hope, as we sing about that hope, we should really stop clinging so tightly to the things of this world. We should really give ourselves afresh to following Jesus because this world is not our home and we cannot take anything with us. And to be with Jesus in eternity, in, in, in the heaven to come, will be the greatest experience we can ever imagine. Let me finish in this way. In the final chapter, in the final book of C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, we have a picture of what life in glory will be like. These are the final paragraphs of the last battle. I've read them so many times in church, but they're so beautiful. Lewis writes, And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. He's talking about Aslan, who is the, 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 the Jesus figure in the Chronicles of Narnia. And as he spoke, he, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for the time, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. What are we is a question that we often ask farmers, teachers, teachers, laborers, receptionists, office workers, retirees, homemakers, hardly the stuff of glory. But yet Revelation 21 tells us of a holy city, a beautiful bride, and a tearless heaven. And that's what the Bible tells us about heaven. That's part one of a two-part think about heaven. Part two is next week. Make sure that you're here and make sure that this week you have the hope of heaven in your heart and have the hope of heaven and of being with God forever one day. You can know that hope by trusting in Jesus. And if that's something that you want to do even tonight, please speak to me after this service. We're going to respond to what we've thought about this evening by singing together. We're going, to, we're going to pray in a few moments' time, but our response comes as we sing the hymn, Sing the Wondrous Love of Jesus. And we'll stand and sing.